0: Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com.
1: It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. While well, the large baby boomer population continues to age, and with it, the total number of people in our country with dementia. Now, estimates vary, but according to reports, more than 7 million people ages 65 or older had dementia in 2020. And if current demographic and health trends continue, more than 9 million Americans could have dementia by 2030. And then by 2040, nearly 12 million Americans with dementia. This hour, dementia is our focus. Uh, Later, we're going to hear about an upcoming conference in Des Moines, a conference aimed at improving care and services for those living with dementia and their caregivers, also the importance of early intervention. But before that discussion with medical experts in the field, let's get a sense of the personal challenges this disease presents. Joining me now, Rod and Lori Payne of Cedar Falls. Welcome to the program.
2: Hi. Thank you.
1: Thank you both for joining us. Uh, Lori, uh, you have been living with younger onset Alzheimer's for a number of years. Rod and Lori, take us back to before the diagnosis. When did the two of you notice and start talking about the fact that,
2: Lori, uh, cognitively things weren't, weren't working out as they used to? My daughter and my son's girlfriend, they kind of started noticing things that Lori was doing that i wasn't picking up on because i'm with lori every day all the time so i was just accepting the fact that she was forgetting this forgetting that and making three cups of coffee within a one minute period (laughs) and i was just thinking we're both Mm. getting older but she was give her like instructions like let's just go out and grab somebody a pop and she'd go out she'd stand there and she'd say i can't remember what i come out here for and then part of her job she was in radio and she was making a call out on a sales call, and she got lost. And what bothered me about that, it was her old stomping grounds, and she could not find her way home. So we were just kind of looking at each other saying, just something's not right. So my daughter and my son's girlfriend took Lori to a doctor in Waterloo to get tested, and that's when they found out that she had early onset.
1: Lori, do you remember that instance where you were in a very well-known
2: neighborhood and you got lost? That yeah, must have I been sc- must have been scary.
3: It was very scary.
2: <laughs> yeah, she called me up crying, and she was still well enough to understand that she had to pull over even before she called me, and we talked her home. And that's when Lori thought, you know, there's got to be something wrong. Yeah. So you got
1: it checked out. Um, what was the diagnosis?
3: Um, early, early onset Alzheimer's. Al- Alzheimer's.
1: Early onset Alzheimer's. What, Lori, what was it like to get that news now five years ago?
3: It was very, very hard.
1: Yeah. For anybody, it would be. What was running through your minds at that time?
3: See, that I'm not going to be normal, that people won't want to, you know, hang out with me or, you know, play cards or things like that. Yeah.
1: The tremendous st- stigma attached to the disease isn't there, Rod. What? What, what did you want to add?
2: Um, what I was going to add is she. They called me from work when she got home with the diagnosis. I went home, and it was it was a long hour of crying and hugging, yeah. and just wondering how we're going to get through this. And we felt at that time we did feel like our world is crashing in around us.
3: See, and that's when I want to change so much. I want to help other people not have this feeling. I want to have. I want to help them, and I don't know how to do it all.
2: You're yeah. doing it every day.
1: Where, did you turn a corner, I mean, after that initial shock and the, the news of the diagnosis? Um, what can you remember about the first instance when you're thinking about it, or, or both of you are thinking about it, changed um, uh, to a, a mode of of coping with it and making the best of it.
2: And try to answer for Lori, she's wiping her eyes right now, but um, it it didn't take till the, the next day I got up and I didn't really want to go to work and Lori was all bouncy and smiling. And I said, God, what the heck's happening here? And she says, I'm not going to let this thing get me down. I'm going to go out there, I'm going to kick its butt and I'm going to help other people. What have you, what have the two of you learned about how much control you do have with your
1: lifestyle over how rapidly uh, Lori's disease progresses?
2: What have you been told by specialists about what you can do? One of the things I told her is to keep active, keep your mind active, get involved in games and don't do what some people do and regress and turn into a hermit. Cool. Any? He, and he said, You got to keep her brain active because that's mm-hmm. one of the healthiest things, plus the medicine. But the guys at Mayo said, Just keep her mind active. So uh, when Lori was at home alone, because I had to finish out my tenure at work. And when she was home alone, she's getting bored. And, and so we went out and we bought a six foot stand up Pac Man machine. Yeah. <laughs> and now my wife is becoming an <laughs> extrovert.
3: We play Pac-Man <laughs> all the time. Anybody that comes to our house, they want to play. We yeah. have so okay, much fun. Try.
2: <laughs> I do hold a high score of 124. Though.
3: Oh, shit! <laughs> <laughs> he always beats me, but we have fun.
2: <laughs> anyway, it, but again, that's part of what the doctor suggested. They thought it was great that we bought that because it tests their mind and it keeps their mind active trying to, you know, mm-hmm. keep up with the game. So, yeah. it, again, it, it seems simple, but... It helps the mind, and that's what this is all about. Mm-hmm. Keep active. We get out, try to get out as much as we can, visit with people. We don't want to stay secluded in the house.
3: I need mm-hmm. people. Yeah. I will always need people. That,
2: that makes you happy, Laura,
3: oh, to be around others. I have to have people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just do.
1: Yeah, you talked about being really worried that others wouldn't want to be around you anymore, and that's a huge challenge of um, a diagnosis with uh, dementia, has that, in fact, occurred, and have you been able to break the news to friends? What was that like? And, and do it in a way so that you can say, hey, I'm still the same person. I've yep. got a disease. I say Please that don't all the time.
3: Af- <laughs> do you? Yes, I do. <laughs> I'm <laughs> still me. Please don't run away
1: from Yeah, I'm still me. Yep. <laughs> yep. Be my friends. Yep. Don't run away. Has that? Have you succeeded there? Yes,
3: we have. We have the best family and the best friends.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rod, I want to ask you as a as a care, caregiver for Lori through this ordeal, describe a little bit the stress that you've experienced over the past few years.
2: I thought about that, and everybody's told me as a caregiver, it's going to wear you down and it's going to cause you some headaches. And there's been some times where, like, if I'm overtired, I get a little irritable, but I try not to show that to Lori. But I believe we've been together for 42 years, and... We entered a marriage that we we're going to be rich or poor, sickness and health, and we just, I, I'm i kind of absorbing some of that and not getting mad at her, because I understand she's going through something, and I need to be there for her and be strong for her. And she's being strong for me by telling me, oh, don't let that bother you. I promise I won't do that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, I think it's from the heart that I have, we have found a way to go through this thing together and. We're we're not going to let it knock us down. No,
3: we are not. There's going to be a cure. I know it.
2: Yeah. But, yeah, I can see, and there has been the moments where I'll be sitting there and she'll fall asleep on the couch and I'm like, oh, my God, I got this (laughs) moment, you know. And it sounds mean, but you do need a little bit of a battery recharge. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. our friends have been super. They always say, hey, if Rod, if you need to get away and, you know, just get the cobwebs out, they'd come over and sit with Lori and play games. And, you know, and I haven't gotten to that point yet because I want to be there with her every minute so I can make sure things go right.
1: You've been coping with this as best you can for, for some five years now. What advice would the two of you have for those who may be listening, who have a, a spouse or a loved one recently diagnosed with dementia? What, what lessons have you learned or would you like to have known early on that better helps you cope?
3: There's certain things that I really, really like. I love music and I love people. And if I don't have those in my heart, I get a little cranky sometimes and he needs to have his time away from me, Rod does, because, I he, I mean, he needs to just, he takes care of everything, you know, and I just love him so much.
2: And I think people that are experiencing it for the first time don't give up right away. I had a tendency to fall back thinking, oh, my God, this is it. And there's so much time out there. You have to find it in yourself to go out there and enjoy every day because you're not going to have every day. So enjoy each other every day, and, and my suggestion to any caregiver is don't let them become a recluse. Be with them, absorb that moment when you find out. But then wrap around each other and your friends. Friends are important. Family is very important. Yep. And and get involved in other Alzheimer's programs. We do Alzheimer's runs and walks. We try to stay involved. Mm-hmm. You got to surround your, your, yourself with the people. Following this conversation,
1: we'll be talking for the rest of the hour about him improving care and services for those living with dementia and their caregivers. In your experience, what would be on your wish list in terms of improving care and services? Rod, what would have made your experience, your support easier
2: to give to Lori? Knowing the disease better, knowing what I could expect from her and how I could incorporate that in my daily routine so I don't get upset with her because she forgets something or you know, it, it's not her fault. Don't get mad at her. I wish I had pre training, I guess you could say. Um so we're kinda learning it on the run.
3: You hardly ever get mad at me. Not not normally. No.
1: So so for someone entering this, having a better understanding of
2: what what uh, how life changes how interactions change rod try to try to get involved in a program look up self help for caregivers look up anything you can on alzheimer's understand what she's going through and that'll better help you get through it as well and then getting some finer tuning on as a caregiver what you can expect and the things i can do for her to make things a lot easier so get involved as soon as you find out don't wait i waited and i wish the day i found out i wish i could have went out the next day and got as involved as i am now well
1: Lori and rod payne i really want to thank you for coming into our cedar falls studio being so open about your experiences and handling this diagnosis so that me we may all better understand what it's like Lori, we wish you all the best and and of course you too rod Thank you so much for sharing and being so open. Oh, thank, uh, you too. thank you, thank very you for much. having us. And take care of each other.
3: Oh, we will. <laughs>
2: thank you.
1: Wow, what an inspiring couple, <laughs> Lori and Rod. Thank you so much again. That uh, conversation recorded uh, yesterday. Dementia is our focus this hour on River to River. Over sixty thousand Iowans live with Alzheimer's, and and that's a number that will increase as baby boomers age. We're talking also about family caregivers. Uh, Rod, great inspiration of a a fantastic caregiver. 73,000 family caregivers bear the burden of this disease just in our state. For the remainder of the hour, we're joined by two specialists in the field. Uh, Greg Woods is an Alzheimer's disease-related dementias program coordinator at the Iowa Department of Health and Human Services. Hi, Greg. Welcome to the program.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: And we're also joined by by Dr. Yogesh Shah. He's a board-certified geriatrician, also chief medical officer at Broadlawn's Medical Center in Des Moines. Dr. Shah, welcome back to our program. Thank you, Ben. Nice to be back. And we want to reach out to our listeners uh, now. Um, Do you or a loved one have dementia? Um, After that conversation with uh, Rod and uh, Lori, you could share your journey as well and get reactions from Dr. Shaw and uh, Greg Woods. Uh, 1-866-780-9100 or email us river to river at iowapublicradio.org. What questions do you have about detection, care, treatment, prevention? We're going to touch on those things for the rest of this hour. Uh, uh, Greg and Dr. Shaw, before we get into talking about the upcoming conference in Des Moines, um, focusing on early detection and prevention, uh, let me get your reactions while that conversation we just heard was fresh in our minds. Dr. Shaw, give us some of your reactions to what Lori and Rod had to say uh, about her early onset dementia. What moment
5: stood out for you as, as most relevant to your work? Ben, I want to congratulate both of them, Lori and Rod, for coming out and talking on your show. It's hard for people, hard for patients and caregivers to come out and publicly talk about what they are going through. They did excellent job. A lot of things stood out to me for each other's support, how Rod is committed as a caregiver to her, Lori, who's married for 42 years. and And I'm And for Laurie to say that, I'm still me, for her to be able to live her life, laugh uh, during conversation as she did, to be able to uh, both use physical activities, mental challenges, have friends. So they're trying to do what I would probably talk more in detail about how to prevent dementia.
1: Mm -hmm. Greg Woods, what stood out for you? Reflect on that conversation we just heard.
4: Well, I I certainly agree with what Dr. Shaw had pointed out. Several things really stood out to me. One of them is that phrase, I'm still me. The stigma that surrounds this disease really complicates things. And the families that go through it, even though their story is unique to them, there are a lot of commonalities that many are going through right now with this disease.
6: Mm -hmm.
4: Having that uncertainty of wondering What's this going to be like for me? Are people still going to talk to me? Are they still going to know how to do that? That was a really big one, and it's something that through education and through better awareness about the disease and also the faces of this disease, or in radio's case, the voices of this disease, we kind of drive that away, that stereotype of what you may or may not think Alzheimer's is. And from the caregiver perspective, I loved him mentioning trying to understand this disease and look at it from her perspective. That's something that in education about this disease we talk about often. Coming at this from the perspective of the person going through it is so valuable for the caregiver in trying to understand what he or she is going through rather than trying to pull them back into our world of our logic.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and also it seemed for Rod, it was really the cure to getting frustrated, you know, lessening the frustration and perhaps even anger when someone asks you uh, for the third or fourth time in in a half hour uh, uh, repeats another question, right, Greg? Uh, You have more understanding when you step into that person's shoes.
4: Yeah, that repetition is very common and it's commonly frustrating. But one thing I tell people is that when they're asking questions, the person with the disease, they're not doing it out of malice. They're doing it because they legitimately think you have the answer. You have some bit of of expertise or some knowledge or you're going to get a kick out of what they're going to tell you. Things like that and and reminding ourselves of that. Sometimes it needs to take that deep breath, count to 10, whatever it is to drive down that frustration. But for them, it is a new question and we have to treat it as such. Mm -hmm.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the upcoming conference on December 6th in Des Moines. Greg, start us off. Uh, What is planned? What will it cover?
4: Yeah, so this is uh, what's known as the Dementia Care Summit, and this is a new idea that we've had. Because we are still a fairly new program within Iowa HHS, we're working on several different things, including writing a state plan that will address Alzheimer's here in Iowa. But our idea for this came from some of the coalition members that help us to put together that plan, The idea being if we can get stakeholders together from a variety of different facets of senior care, dementia care, you know, whatever it might be, health systems, local government, legislative members, academics, uh, organizations that are working on the aging network. If we can get them together and further that conversation of, okay, how can we actually move the needle on this? How can we collaborate, work together, plan in a unified fashion? Because so often as I've been putting this coalition together – I hear from people that say, well, I didn't know that they were working on that in a different part of the state, or I didn't know they were doing a very similar thing. Mm. So the way that we want to do this is to hear from the experts, hear what is Iowa doing right now? What are other states doing and what successes are they finding? And then, what are some examples of people on the ground right now that are trailblazers that are helping to make some of that change happen? And then, at the end of it, taking all of that, we want to get the attendees together to network and talk amongst themselves and hopefully try to come up with some solutions or at least some early steps for how we can make a difference.
1: And Dr. Shaw, one of those trailblazers, huh, Greg, for
4: part of the conference? <laughs> he, he absolutely is. Yeah. We've, we've worked together several times over the years, and uh, what he's done at Broadlawns. Is, is a wonderful example. Dr. Shaw. tell us a
1: little bit about your main messages for this conference and for everyone listening today.
5: Uh, ben, three uh, common message I'd like to repeat, and re- re- both here and in the conference. One is that dementia is not a normal part of aging. Dementia is not a normal part of aging. Yes, as people age, we find more dementia, but doesn't mean that everybody who's going to live up to 90 or 100 or even longer, is going to get dementia. That's one message, and I'll describe in detail. Second, before dementia is diagnosed, usually, not every time, but in most cases, there's a pre-dementia or a condition medically called mild cognitive impairment, MCI, mild cognitive impairment. That is commonly diagnosed, and if we can diagnose that early, there are 40% chance, one in three chance that MCI can be prevented to become dementia. So that's the second message, that dementia is not normal part of aging. If MCI is detected early, then one third or up to 40% of MCI can be prevented by many few conditions I'll go through. And then third is, as, as Rod and Laurie mentioned, even with diagnosis, there can be good quality of life. Mm. Good
1: quality of life. We're hearing them laughing, talking, getting along, getting on with life, and and (laughs) really savoring as much as life has to give under the present conditions. That's an important message uh, there, too. Uh, Greg, back to you. Who can attend this conference?
4: Well, anybody can attend it. What we're hoping to get, though, is, is people who are... Uh, key members of these different types of communities—people who are working, let's say, in care facilities or are uh, in health systems, uh, state and local government—we uh, we want people who are in the legislature. You know, if, if you're a representative or a state senator that's listening to this, and, and you have that personal connection, uh, come on out to this as well. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of research going on here in Iowa through the different universities. So, if you are a professor in this, or if you're a student in this, and and you you have some say in how some of this works, then we'd love to have you uh, because that's ultimately what we want out of this is some tangible ways that we can start some change and start this collaboration among people that, you know, maybe otherwise wouldn't be getting together.
1: We'll hope to mention at the end of the program, but Greg, for now, tell us how people can find out online more about the Dementia Care Summit coming up.
4: Yeah, you can register on our website. So we have a page on the Iowa HHS website. If you just Google Iowa HHS Alzheimer's, it'll get you to our page and you'll be able to register and see the agenda there.
1: Okay, Greg uh, Woods, uh, stay with us as well as Dr. Shaw. We're going to be with you for the second half hour. We invite our listeners to join our conversation uh, as we explore Alzheimer's and other sorts of dementia. Do you or a loved one have dementia? Share your journey this hour. What questions do you have about detection, care, treatment, and prevention? We already have an email in Dr. Shaw mentioning MCI um, and whether that can reverse. Early detection is really a key. We'll talk about that when we come back, as well as
0: warning signs. I'm Ben Kiefer. It's River to River from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. Support for IPR comes from Patrick Furry Law, a business law firm offering technology agreements, intellectual property law, privacy law, and more. Proudly supporting quality local journalism, online at PatrickFareelaw.com. And we're back with more of River
1: to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Do you or a loved one have dementia? Over 60,000 Iowans living with dementia today, and that number will increase as uh, our baby boomer generation ages. You can share your journey this hour. What questions do you have about detection, care, treatment, prevention? One eight six six seven eighty ninety one hundred, or email us river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Uh, joining us live, Greg Woods. He's with the uh, Iowa Department of Health and Human Services. He's their Alzheimer's disease-related dementias program coordinator. Uh, Dr. Yogesh Shaw is with us as well, chief medical officer at Broadlands, Broad Lawns, excuse me, medical center in Des Moines and uh, they're sharing their expertise uh, with us. And we have a number of listener questions here. Before we get to that, I mentioned before our break, uh, Dr. Shaw, you, you mentioned MCI. A listener wants to know uh, more about mild cognitive impairment. What is it? And uh, we want to get into, you know, this is key to understanding early detection, isn't
5: it? It is, it is. And it's a yeah, wonderful, appropriate question. So the main difference when difference between mild cognitive impairment and any form of dementia is in MCI, there is impairment in overall brain functioning, but not enough to take away my independence. So if I can function independently, meaning I can drive, cook, take care of my finances, take my medications, and all the higher functions, which we take it for granted, if a person can continue with mild changes in the memory or language or judgment, that is mild cognitive impairment, MCI, mm. ability to remain independent. Yeah. When, I, when a person loses the capacity to remain independent, either because I now can't cook, uh, it causes fire in the kitchen, or can't uh, do the, my finances because I write the same check twice or three times, or forget to pay my bills then then that can be part of dementia.
1: Mm, I see so so there's the line the sort of line dividing those two and I bet is uh, you, your experience with MCI, mild cognitive impairment a lot of people just hearing you describe it, uh, and, and then also noting what you said earlier in the first half hour that this is not a normal part of aging, that we would assume MCI is just a normal part of aging, nothing, to, you know, we just got to work with it.
5: Uh, you're functioning, you're a bit slower, correct? So, that, yeah, that term, what you describe Ben, is normal cognitive decline or age-related cognitive decline or age-associated cognitive decline, meaning... Many of us forget in a big parking lot here in Des Moines in Jordan Creek Mall, if I go and if I park my car on a busy day, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I come out of the different gate and suddenly I forget, hey, which, where is my car? So right. that, that is normal aging. But if I forget that I came in my car and now I look for Uber or call, try to say, hey, how do I now go home? That's not normal. So that, that would be one example. Second example, which has happened during pandemic and COVID to many of us, that the friend, the neighbor, you used to meet regularly. If you don't meet, suddenly now, after six months, eight months, you forget the name. So that's normal, that forgetting name of people whom you don't come in regular contact, that's normal. But if you forget, in my case, I, I joke around, if I forget name of my mother-in-law, I, even though I might want to, that's not normal. People you come across or live with daily, that forgetting name would not be normal. And, and if, you, if uh, that's setting off an alarm bell with someone listening, uh, what should they do? So that's where the, the first thing is that they or the family needs to feel that, yes, this is not normal. Go to their primary care provider, bring up, not just go with a routine visit, oh, I'm going for my diabetes or hypertension check or blood pressure check. And by the way, in the last two minutes, say, oh, by the way, doctor, I'm forgetting more or I'm causing issues with my taxes. Go specific for your memory check. And most providers, most doctors would do in-office quick memory tests, blood tests, and few other things. And if that shows, that's great. If not, they can refer to centers like what we have at Broadlawns or many other places. Mm
1: -hmm. And this is how important, early detection
5: and treatment? Extremely important. Mm -hmm. Currently in the US, 22%, 22, one-fifth of Americans have some form of mild cognitive impairment. It's not dementia, it's not normal in-between stage, so that's one, very common. Second, as I mentioned, one-third, up to 40% of MCI can be prevented. Dementia going from MCI can be prevented, slowed, or reversed by taking care of simple things, simple things like hearing loss. If somebody has significant hearing loss during their mid-years by having hearing aids, can reduce their chance of getting into dementia by 8%.
1: Interesting. Uh, Greg Woods, what is your angle on early detection and treatment?
4: Well, put frankly, I mean, since this is a progressive disease, it's only going to get worse over time. So the earlier that we can get in on this, the better it will be. And what Dr. Shaw said is absolutely correct. There are many barriers that people can experience trying to take those steps to get a diagnosis. And one of the biggest ones is just coming to that realization that, you know, this isn't normal aging. Our brain does change as we age. I mean, it's just as much a part of our body as our backs or our skin or our hair or anything. So the little changes here and there are not going to be of huge concern. But as he pointed out, it's the big things that begin to affect daily life that, you know, you stop and think, whoa, that never used to happen. Yeah, Those are the things that should raise the red flags. And, you know, getting in to see even just a primary care doctor, you don't have to go straight to the specialist for that. Uh, that will at least get that journey started.
1: Okay, I want to read from a listener. Uh, Dina in Grinnell writes us. Here's some of what she had to say. Uh, I'm not sure, uh, Greg or Dr. Shaw, who can respond to this, maybe both. What we'll see here, let me read a few excerpts from uh, Dina's uh, uh, email. My mom has Alzheimer's, and my dad was diagnosed with some form of dementia several months ago, several months after her diagnosis. They have rooms next to each other in a memory care facility. My mom has declined quickly, my dad not quite as much. Mom has gotten very aggressive toward him, sometimes even hitting him. The staff don't always see it as they do keep to themselves in their rooms. I live 40 minutes away, she writes. Would love some advice. Uh, The facility, she she adds, is so short-staffed, and they just don't have the staff to keep mom from fighting with him. It's like she's taking out her frustration with the disease uh, on my dad. His quality of life is worse for it, Yet he seems to worry about her and needs her. What can we say to help Dina and Grinnell?
5: Dina, I'm I'm sorry to hear what you as a caregiver are going through. and I'm I'm sure like many Iowans, many Americans, you might be sandwich generation where you're taking care of your parents and you might might have youngsters to take care of. So what I would say is three things. One, Unfortunately, behavior change is part of many dementias. It's not just memory loss. There are most people, patients go through the behavior change, what you describe about your mother. And then it's, second, it's not, it's not intentional. It's not because only thing it's that the reason it, your father is suffering is because for your mother, he is the familiar face she can correlate with. She can talk about that. So the, so the what I would say, yes, uh, that most nursing homes are short-staffed, but uh, for your father might want to go in a separate room away from that place or take more time off from her, which is not easy for many uh, people who are married for a long time and might want to just take more respite time. That will help him to be away from and divert her attention that way she doesn't focus on him as a behavior problem.
1: Anything to add, Greg?
4: Yeah, I'll just say that <clears throat> anytime we have these behaviors like this, it's always important, whether you're in this situation or whether you're a caregiver, that this is the disease that is causing this, that it is not the person. You know, if, if, if they could still operate as normal, then we wouldn't be in this situation. So it is the disease and it's not something that you can say snap out of it. So that does make it really difficult. And and just to put a couple of things into perspective, because I don't know if we've necessarily defined it yet, but Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. I get that question very often and I think it's helpful to delineate. So every case of Alzheimer's is a case of dementia, but not every case of dementia is necessarily Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is the most common form of dementia, but there's other types. So when we talk about some of these services, it's not just specific to Alzheimer's, and that's the only ones that these support groups or that these hospitals will treat. You know, we're also talking about Lewy body and frontotemporal and mixed dementia and vascular dementia and all these different other types, too.
1: Mm, uh, interesting. I wanted to ask also about the, some of the we talk about types, the types of people more likely to develop dementia uh, than others, and we have uh, disparities here, uh, don't we, Doctor Shaw? T- talk about that.
5: Yeah, and and I can proudly say that Broadlawns, being in location where we are, we have done significant work in both many disparities in healthcare, but with dementia also. So what happens is that in African American dementia is twice more common than white Americans, but it's half diagnosed. So it's it's twice more common for multiple reasons, but it's half diagnosed, and that's what we have brought through Broadlawn's worked at Corinthian Baptist Church in promoting dementia awareness amongst minority population, and there are reasons why it is more common in. African American patient population.
2: Mm.
1: Let's talk about hearkening back to Lori's conversation with her husband Rod and her fear upon the first diagnosis of the you know the her loved ones friends uh, sort of abandon or distancing themselves from her. Talk a little bit more about this stigma, Greg, if you could. Um, and, and because I want to zero in on that because uh, if you know listeners have not in their families been touched by dementia. There's a great likelihood that a loved one, a family member, will develop that. Uh, uh, How should we all react to someone we know being diagnosed with some sort of dementia? What's the the most helpful way to react?
4: Well, I think the main thing is to remember that they are still that person, that, that they are still somebody that you know, and that it's not just an instant flip that is switched as soon as that diagnosis comes down. You know, this is a progressive disease, but no two people go through it at the same pace, with the same symptoms, in the same order. It's always different, and you never know. So we can't always make those assumptions about what somebody is or is not going to remember past a certain point. And especially in the early stages of this disease, it may not even manifest all that much when you're just meeting with a person for a few minutes here or there, or if you're coming over for a visit. Mm -hmm. So keeping that in mind and not treating them any differently. You know, that's, that's a huge part of this, especially early on. Now, obviously, as the disease progresses, things are going to change in terms of communication and, and how those interactions will go. But ultimately, the main thing is when we're talking about stigma is not shying away and not suddenly going, well, I don't know how to talk to them. You know, we don't do that when a person is diagnosed with cancer, but it tends to happen with Alzheimer's when somebody gets that and, and their friends go, oh, I, I really don't know how to talk to them. Yeah. We really want to dispel that.
1: Yeah, and we're scared of it when we encounter it, and, and we know that someone's afflicted with it. Um, and so those are good words uh, to remember. If you've just joined us, uh, Greg Woods is with us. Uh, he's an Alzheimer's disease-related uh, coordinator, um, their dementia program coordinator at the Iowa Department of Human Health and Human Services. Dr. Shaw, chief medical officer at Broadlawns Medical Center. And we are spending our final 10 minutes, if you'd like to join us with a question or an experience you've had related to dementia, 1-866-780-9100, 1-866-780-9100. Julie is joining us from Washington, Iowa. Julie, welcome to the program.
6: Hi, thank you for having me.
1: Well, thank you. What well, What is your experience here?
6: My husband um, had Parkinson's disease for 13 years, um, and he passed away April 1st of 2021. And basically, it was because he developed late stage in, the, in his Parkinson's. Later, um, he developed Lewy body dementia. And I, in Washington, this 35 miles south of Iowa City,
2: mm-hmm.
6: finding caregivers was almost impossible. I had to actually get people from... To Rapids and that's a real hassle because when they couldn't come or the weather was bad, you know, and there was no, there wasn't consistency and care. And when you have someone with dementia, um, it didn't do me any good if so-and-so couldn't come on Tuesday when I had to do something and they send somebody else because then I have to go through the whole routine again of what you do with them and yeah. he doesn't know who they ah. are. And I just think,
1: Oh, go ahead! Go ahead. No, I just you're zeroing in on a perfect point because that's a real focus of this summit, isn't it, Greg? Is to find out where our deficiencies are in the state and and get better support for people like Julie.
4: Well, yeah, Julie's experience is unfortunately pretty common in places because Iowa being a rural state, you know, we do have some resources, but they tend to be centered around the more urban areas. And, you know, when, when we have talked to caregivers and we've talked to people with this disease, that availability of respite care and in-home care is so difficult. And it's something that a lot of states are wrestling with. And we have to do better with that. We have to figure out, you know, how can we make this more accessible or what can we do to bridge that gap? Because, Respite care is incredibly valuable, but it's few and far between in places if you can find it.
1: Mm-hmm. Dr. Shaw, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about connections between dementia, and all the types of dementia, and other types of mental illness. Are there connections, for instance, if you have clinical depression, are you more likely to develop dementia, those types of uh, queries?
5: Yes, there is, unfortunately, connection between um, depression and anxiety and dementia on both ends, meaning if uh, 5% of depression, if untreated, can lead into mild cognitive impairment and dementia. So that's a, it's a extremely important to treat dementia with, with medication, with therapy, with a lot of other lifestyle changes. So that's one end of it. And unfortunately, many patients with different types of dementias go through Behavior changes, as we talked earlier, and that those behavior changes are most common being anxiety, agitation, aggression. And as we heard uh, that that from Dana about mother becoming maybe psychosis, they they feel that person in the room is not the same person they married, or that somebody's stealing from the room constantly or, there is uh, people who are the spouse is having a relationship outside of the marriage, so those kind of personality changes does happen mm-hmm.
1: Gary in Davenport is listening he wants to know and I think Dr. Shaw this will be directed best to you how can you tell if it is clinical depression not alzheimer's
5: yeah the d- good question Gary the difference between depression and depression patient is able to if it is a Early stages of depression, they can stable to function, remain independent, would might become slower than before, while in case of formal diagnosis of dementia, in most cases they will not be able to function independently but but they do tend to coexist and chemically that exist also. So many times what we do as a clinicians, as a physicians, when diagnosis of dementia happens, we start with treatment for depression. Also,
1: mm-hmm. let's go back to our phones as we finish up this hour focusing on dementia. Kurt is with us from Jackson County. Hi, Kurt. Not much time. What do you have on your mind? Uh, I will hurry. Uh, <laughs> my wife died a little less than two years ago from Alzheimer's. I'm so sorry. I had her at home. Uh, thank you. I had her at home until the very end. But I, I want folks to know that. There are exceptions to these
0: sad stories. Uh, ours, the whole thing was quite beautiful, I thought. You know, she never changed her personality. She was the same sweet person every day. We got out every day. Every day was different and new. And, and it was terrific. I wouldn't trade those days for anything.
1: Mm, Gre- uh, Kurt, uh, that's so important to hear, isn't it, Greg?
4: Absolutely. And, and thank you for saying that, Kurt, because Rod and Lori touched on that a little bit earlier living with this disease puts, you got to put an emphasis on that living part. You know, this is not, as I said, that that instantaneous change. You can still live, you can still bring out that person that you've always known and loved. It just has to be sometimes in different ways. And and not everybody goes through the disease in the same way. And you're absolutely right. Sometimes it can be a, a journey that adds richness to your life
5: in the midst of all of this difficulty, too. Mm-hmm. And then, Kurt, I want to say that also same thing, that it's you as a caregiver, you probably brought the best of her out. Yes. And it's not easy part of most caregivers. So thank congratulations to you. You did your part very well, and we need more caregiving like you.
1: Mm-hmm. In the final two minutes, perhaps you could both share uh, what we can do once this conversation ends today resources for families, um, and we, we want to find out more about the latest research, which is thankfully always progressing uh, in uh, this area.
5: So I can, I can start, Ben, that first of all, thank you for organizing this uh, River to River talk on this, that dementia is not a normal part of aging, that MCI, mild cognitive impairment, happens years before formal diagnosis of dementia is made. And there are many ways we can work to reduce chance of dementia becoming, uh, MCI becoming dementia. The YMCA at the Des Moines chapter has done great work of, of something. So you can, might want to Google unlocking brain fitness and keys to dementia prevention. And they have done very very good job of listing all the things we can do.
1: Okay, Greg, what, we have less than a minute, but please. Yep.
5: Well, first off, November is Family
4: Caregivers Month, so for those caregivers who have called in, shared their stories, thank you. That is something that we can all do is to try to drive this stigma down, talk about this disease, encourage others to be open about it as well. On our website, uh, which I mentioned earlier, if you just Google Iowa HHS Alzheimer's, we have a lot of different resources on there, or if you're a place that wants to display posters or get bookmarks or Mm -hmm. actual things that you can distribute to people to help spread the word, you can do that too. And of course, our summit coming up Tuesday, December 6th at Polk County River place uh, free to attend. You can register on our website too.
1: Greg Woods uh, with the Iowa Department of Health and Human Services. Dr. Yogi Shah, Chief Medical Officer at Broadlawns Medical Center. Greg and Dr. Shah, thank you so much and thanks to our listeners for being so sharing about this topic. Uh, That's what it will take to, to break down the stigma and in part better deal with this disease. Greg, Dr. Shaw, thank you so much. Thank,
5: thank you. To. Thank you, Laurie and Rod, for coming and uh, talking about your uh, journey. Support for IPR comes
0: from Patrick Furry Law, a business law firm offering technology agreements, intellectual property law, privacy law, and more. Proudly supporting quality local journalism. Online at patrickfurrylaw.com.
1: Today's River to River produced by Caitlin Troutman. Our executive producer is Catherine Perkins. It's Politics Day tomorrow. We'll hope you'll join us. I'm Ben Kiefer. Until next time.